0: have been talking about how this life has a way of doing emotional damage to us. It takes an emotional toll, amen? But what do we know? We know that Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. So when the seed of our emotions gets damaged because we go through things in life, Jesus wants to heal that. He wants to minister to that hurt. Or as the King James Version says, he wants to minister to that bruise. Now, some of us have greater bruises and some of us have smaller bruises, right? I talked and I shared that with you a couple weeks ago about how my wife and the things that she went through as a child growing up and how her mother had made choices that abandoned her and left her on her own at six and eight years old to watch herself. And then her mom chose the fellowship of men and the fellowship of substance over the fellowship of her daughter. And that caused a deep hurt and a deep bruise in her life. And so her bruise was great, but God is the healer. My bruise wasn't so great. I faced a little bit of bullying in high school because I was just, you know, four foot 11 till I was a junior in high school and kids made fun of me. But when you live up in the sticks in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, you just don't face a lot of adversity. I had my family and I had rocks. I always love it when I take people to Colorado and they go, man, there's a lot of rocks on these. And I say, well, they are called the Rocky Mountains. Your expectation should be in the title. If Jesus is the healer, my expectation is in the title. Amen? If he's the deliverer, my expectation is in the title. Well, guess what? It's called the Rocky Mountains. My expectation is in the title. Amen? And so I had, you know, my family and I had rocks. We were an hour from everything. So what I went through wasn't maybe as substantial as what somebody else went through. But what we realize is that it doesn't matter to God if it's great or if it's small, he wants to heal it. Because guess what? Broken is broken, and bruised is bruised, and he wants to fix it. That word brokenhearted right there, when you look at it in the Greek, it is two words, but it means shattered. And so we face things. Maybe you've gone through things in society. Maybe you've gone through things in school. Maybe you've gone through things with family. God wants to touch you this morning. He was and he is the healer of the shattered heart. And so we've been looking at ways, how do we allow him to operate in these five pillars of ministry in our lives? Just a quick review. Number one, we understand that we need him. You remember the religious people of Jesus' time could not receive from him. The educated could not receive from him because in the natural they could not see the need for him. If you want, even when it comes to salvation and the pillar of saving people's lives, the first thing that must happen is everybody must come to this point of understanding, I need him. Amen. And when you realize you need him, he can begin to do some things in your life. Number two, we talked about how we have to be willing to let go of our hurt. Blind Bartimaeus got tired of being called Blind Bartimaeus. And so we looked at that, and we looked at how he threw off his cloak. And I came out here with two luggage bags. You remember that? And I couldn't pick up my Bible while I was holding the luggage. And so I had to let go of some things to pick up something. See, I don't want to be known as hurt robber. I want to be known as healed robber. So I must choose. Now, here's the key. I don't identify with my hurt. I identify with him. Some people will never let go because that's their identification. Now, I'm not, this is just an example. I'm not throwing shade at anybody because if somebody needs it, they need it. But sometimes I think people want that good parking spot at Walmart, so they refuse to let go of that handicap sign in the mirror. Amen. we got to let go of some things. Right? If we want to be healed, I've got to let go of the hurt. I've got to cast that onto the Lord and then reel in his healing power. I've got to cast that to him and give it to him. Well, I don't want special treatment. Lots of people like to tell their story of how they've been hurt so people will have sympathy towards them. I don't don't need your attention. I have his attention. (laughs) Right? And that sounds hard, but whose attention do we want? I love your fellowship, and I love spending time with you, but I I want his attention. And so if i got to let go of some things to get it, then I'm going to let go of it. So let's stop identifying with our hurt. Number three, we must forgive those that hurt us, even if it means forgiving ourselves. And we looked at Jesus on the cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they... Listen, if anybody had the right to remain upset or offended or angry, it was Jesus. The Bible tells how he was innocent, spotless lamb, son of God, son of man, did no wrong. He lived perfect, without sin, without blemish. Jesus even said in Scripture, there is no sin to be found in me. He was flawless. But yet he chose to forgive. Well, who did he forgive? The Roman soldiers? The Jewish people? Who, what? I believe it was everyone. It was everybody. And so that shows us, who do we have to forgive? Everybody. Those who hurt us, maybe family members, maybe peers, maybe church. Let's, let, let's talk about it. Shall we talk about it? Yeah. Everything the devil does when it comes to hurt is to separate you from everything that God has made for you. Can I, the, the institution of church was not man's design. The institution of having a pastor was not man's design. These things have been established and set in place by God Almighty. The devil knows that. So what he wants to do is separate you from the things God has created and designed to help you. The first thing he wants to separate you from is your relationship with him. And then look at all the different ways you embrace and grow in that relationship. Church is one way that we embrace and grow in that relationship. So the devil, he'll stir things up in this place. We know that church isn't a perfect place. How do we know that? Because you're here. Because I'm here. Amen. If we want church to be perfect, let's just close the doors and all leave. And then it's a perfect place. And no one will get hurt because no one's here. Listen, the Bible talks about this. Let's make an account for our faults of one another. Right, let's understand that they make mistakes, and then let's be mature enough that if you do something that offends me, if you do something that hurts me, or if I do something that offends you, or I do something that hurts you, let's be mature enough to go talk to one another. I mean, let's go and have this fellowship and, 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 and allow the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart according to Romans 5.5. 5, let that love have its perfect place and let it work in the life and the fellowship of believers. I was reading through the New Testament, and we're going to get to this in just a minute. But I always found it interesting how Jesus would always talk to his disciples and he would say that the world would know you by your love for one another. Now, notice that because lots of times we're always preached how we need to love the world and we need to love the sinner. And that is true. But Jesus brought special attention when he talked about it, about loving your neighbor or loving those. you were. He told the disciples, you must have this love between yourselves before the world will ever come into the fellowship of faith. Because why would the world want to come into this place when we're all arguing with each other, when we're all fighting with each other, when we're all yelling at each other, when we're all hurting one another? They're not going to. Why would I go to church to get that when I got that out here? And so we've got to work on this love between one another. And when somebody, because guess what? This is perfect. I am not. So make an allowance for one another's fault. Now, I'm not saying if somebody does something that is sin or does something that's wrong, we're not talking about covering it up. There's no cover up here. There's transparency. But can we love each other enough to where we go and we talk to one another? Can we love each other enough so we don't allow the devil to separate us from the institution that God has designed to help us? Do you all hear me this morning? This is God's plan. It's not man's plan. Amen? And so we talked about that. We must forgive. As a pastor, over the last four years, I've seen people just cut and leave. And how easily it is for the devil to separate them from the very thing that God has created to help them. Now, am I saying it's going to be perfect? Am I saying it's going to be a challenge? Absolutely not. There will be challenges. And we can get over and we can preach on that too. We're going to go through things in this life. We were never promised that we wouldn't face challenges. We were never promised we wouldn't face tribulations. What were we promised? We were promised that we would have a good shepherd to lead us through those challenges. To be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. To bring us through on the other side. Amen? Amen? So everyone say, I forgive. And then this is what we're going to wrap it up with this week. Number four, we must have fellowship. And we're going to talk about fellowship in two different capacities. Number one, our fellowship with our Father. And then number two, our fellowship with the church. And so let's talk about fellowship. You know, when we talk about Jesus and we look at the life of Jesus, if you read in the New Testament, there's one thing that he did on a pretty continual basis. He always got away by himself. I believe it's one of my wife's favorite characteristics and attributes about Jesus, is he loves solitude. Sometimes she, you know, because I'm a people person. I used to go to this uh, small town in Colorado called Estes Park, and I would just sit on a bench and I would just watch people. I like to be around people. I'm very curious about people. You watch them walk in the streets, and they do stuff. I like to see how they engage with their family and their friends. And then I just love being around people. And even if there's not people around, I just talk to myself. <laughs> My wife will walk into the room, and she's like, who are you talking to? And I often reply this way, anyone who will listen. <laughs> the wall's listening. The pill, anyone who's listening, let me just talk. And so we're built a little different, and that's okay, Right? Sometimes, you know, her and and even one of my children, they can get very uh, fellowship overload. And maybe it doesn't take a lot, right? But Jesus, what's interesting about him is he would always, you remember when John the Baptist was beheaded. What did Jesus do? Well, it says in scriptures, he got on a boat by himself and went to a private place. So when something in this life hurt him, where does my help come from? See, if Jesus needed fellowship with the Father to overcome, guess what you're going to need? Even when he was facing the cross, before he was going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus do? He, he went with the disciples to pray, but then he stopped them and he withdrew further. Let me just go to this place of solitude with my Father. Everyone say Fellowship. And so Jesus teaches us about this. I want you to remember this. You can write it down. Time spent in solitude with God is not time spent alone. Time, now you can't live there. You've got a life. You've got family. You've got friends. You've got responsibilities. You can't live there. But I wonder how often do we actually go there? I was reading and studying and praying last night, and this thought came to me. And finding a Christian who truly loves fellowship is kind of like in this time, finding a dead man who's breathing. And when the Holy Spirit ministered to me last night and said that, I was like, that seems a little harsh, but it's also a little true. We even have to watch it in ourselves that we don't get callous to this fellowship that we have with the Father. That we still are in love with him, whether we've been walking with him for a day or 10 years. That we still have this fellowship. And let me just tell you something. You know, we're seeing more confusion and more hurt and more identity crisis and more lost and, and people drowning in the sorrows of this world. We're seeing it like we've never seen it before. And what's the one common denominator that's been removed? It's this fellowship with God. And when that goes away, everything else comes like a flood. And so everyone say Fellowship. So time spent in solitude with God is not time spent alone. There's somebody there with you. It's the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus taught us a little bit about this when he was teaching on prayer in Matthew 6. He said this, but you, when you pray, go into your room and have a shut door. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when we withdraw ourselves into this private, intimate place with him, he rewards us in that moment with what? Whatever we need. Do we need healing? Do we need minister to a broken heart? See, uh, if we want this touch from heaven and we want these five pillars of Jesus' ministry to be working in our lives, what are we willing to do to go out and get it? I'm telling you, we must have this fellowship. Over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which have seen and heard declare unto you that we may also have fellowship, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. We're supposed to have fellowship with Him. Listen to this this sentence that I'm about to say. The foundation of your faith is fellowship. The foundation of your faith is is fellowship and if you have no fellowship with the father you have no foundation to build your life upon this is what Jesus also talked about we want to be wise men who are building our house upon the rock for unless the Lord builds the house your labor in vain so who's building my house I want him to build my house. Well, how do I allow him to build my house? I fellowship with him. And in order for God to build my house, in order for God to heal my hurt emotions, in order for God to institute and do these five pillars of Jesus' ministry in my life, there's gonna be times where Robert must draw away by himself to have fellowship with his father. This is the same challenge that every single one of us faces because we are busy people. We have jobs, we have family, we have extracurricular activities. Some of us even enjoy sleep. And so there's always these obstacles that try to keep us from having this intimate fellowship and relationship with Father God. But I need a touch. I said I need a touch. So whatever I've got to do to get a touch, I'm going to do it. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 said, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, his Lord, is faithful. And as I was praying last night, I experienced the faithfulness of God in so many different ways. But one of the best ways to experience his faithfulness is through fellowship. Because then all those promises that are yes and amen as I fellowship with my creator, those promises begin to work in my life. If you only hear about the promises but you have no fellowship, you will never see the faithfulness of God. Everybody say fellowship. Fellowship. And I'm just like you. When I get busy, one of the first things that gets cut is fellowship. And God has so masterfully reorchestrated my life over the last year and a half to make sure that he is first. That this fellowship with God comes first. He put me on this challenge where every single night, sometimes it's more, but it's never less. He's asked me to read three chapters out of the word of God every single night. And I believe he asked me to do it at night on purpose because that's after the day is done and I'm tired and I don't want to do anything. So there's a level of intentionality that has to go with it. Amen. But what are we willing to do? We've got to begin to seek him like we've never sought him before. To desire this fellowship. Psalms 27 verse four says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. What's the overwhelming point? I want to seek Him. And as I seek Him, He can heal me. As I seek Him, He can keep me. As I seek Him, He can complete me. As I seek Him, He can bless me. As I seek Him, He can anoint me. As I seek Him, He can mend my heart. As I seek Him... I must seek him. And what am I seeking? I'm seeking this fellowship with God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Someone says, seek the Lord. So here's the question. How bad do we want a miracle? How bad do we want a miracle? Stop being satisfied with the status quo. Stop being satisfied with your hurt. Stop being satisfied with the letdown. Stop being, listen, there's people in the word of God, we see it, I want to be like the woman with the issue of blood. How bad did she want her miracle? She was willing to be trampled on just to get to the hem of his garment, just to have that moment of fellowship with Jesus. How bad do you want your miracle? And there's always obstacles to this fellowship. Remember blind Bartimaeus who we referenced just a moment ago when he was crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. What was everyone else saying? Shut up. (laughs) Right? But he just kept crying out. How bad do you want? When everyone else is around you saying, don't do this. It looks foolish. Don't do this. Don't fellowship. And everything is trying to pull you away from that fellowship. How bad do you want your miracle? How about Jairus when his daughter was dead? And his servant came and said, Don't trouble the master any further. See, there's always obstacles to this fellowship, right? What about the Gentile woman whose daughter was possessed with the demon? And she said, What to Jesus? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She was willing to be called names. But this is what she said. I need a touch. I need a miracle. If the atmosphere always has to be perfect for us to get in there and fellowship, then we'll never fellowship. If everything always has to be perfect for us to go to church, then we'll never go to church. Come on, because the devil will always make sure there's a fire burning to keep you from having fellowship. But I've decided I want a miracle. Someone say, I want a miracle. And since I want a miracle, I'm willing to do whatever I got to do to get into his presence. Just like Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. If I don't fellowship, I will not have the help I need in my moment of need. When I have fellowship, there's mercy and there's grace and he's always available in my time of need. I've got to push through the pain so I can get into fellowship, so I can have my miracle. Come on now. All those quick examples that we just rattled off a moment, they all had a different type of pain. But they pushed through it to get their miracle. Isaiah 10, 27, what happens as we fellowship? And it shall come to pass in that day. This is Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 out of the King James Version. And I've been stewing on this scripture for a couple weeks, even when we prayed for the the Chile team, it was coming out about yokes of bondage being broken. And it comes from this scripture right here. And I'm going to show you how the Lord revealed it to me here in just a moment. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from him off thy shoulders and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke that shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So lots of times, you know, lots of scriptures, when you read this scripture, it talks about the fat, which is another word for the anointing. And it's talking about how an ox wears a yoke around it, right, that attaches it to the plow or attaches it to whatever, makes it a slave to the plow, attaches it to it, right, makes the plow its master, And what it's talking about, imagine a young bull or an ox, its neck gets so fat that it breaks that yoke. When you fellowship with God, you get so fat spiritually that it breaks all the yokes of bondage that are on your life. When you fellowship with Him, He smears this anointing on you, and I'm so excited to talk about it next week because glory to God, there's some good things there, but it's for next week, hallelujah. But when you fellowship with Him, He does something in you that builds you up, that strengthens you in your man, inner man, so you become so strong and you become so fat underneath the anointing that no yokes of bondage, that no yokes of slavery, that no yokes of hurt that the devil has put on your life can remain. They are broken off of your shoulders and removed from your neck. And we love that and we want that in our lives, but there's a key step in order for that to happen, and it's fellowship. As we fellowship with God, the anointing builds us up and it breaks yokes of bondage off of our lives. We must be sure that we have this fellowship on a daily basis with God. Come on now, do you hear what I said? We have this fellowship on a daily basis with God. And maybe you can't read three chapters a day because it's just too much. Start with three verses. Come on now. Sometimes we get so dogmatic with the things of God, and I don't really believe He is that dogmatic. I think He just wants us. And He doesn't care if it's for three minutes or three hours, He just wants you. And in that moment, He wants all of your heart. In that moment, He wants all of your heart. Amen, so we can focus on him. And so church, let's come back to a place of fellowship and with God. Let's come back to a place where we spend time in his presence. Not just here worship corporately, that's wonderful, that's great, but can we withdraw to our closet at home? Can we put the family to bed and then go to the living room and just be with him? Someone say fellowship. Fellowship. The next thing I wanna talk about real quick is fellowship with the church. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rush and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them this utterance. Now listen, there's something about gathering in the place that God has called you to gather. See, because Jesus, he spoke to 450 and he said, go into Jerusalem and you wait in that upper room. And, And they went and only 120 were willing to give 10 days of waiting in the upper room to experience the miracle. But there's something to be said. When you gather in the place that God has instructed you to gather, you come in contact with the power of God. God has instructed you to gather at Cornerstone Word of Life Church. And he didn't call you to gather for pastor's sake. Come on now. He didn't call you to gather for this building's sake. He called you to gather for your sake. So God could do something in your life. And as I said a moment ago, a lot of stuff you face in this life is to pull you away from your gathering place. And we have the luxury in the United States of America to where you can drive down this street right here and come in contact with 50 other gathering places. And that's wonderful, but the only problem with that is then when the believer goes through something, they say, let me just leave this watering hole and go to the next one. What if I told you you don't get to choose your watering hole? I, I want to say thank you for all those amens. <laughs> this is the and then not only that. What if I told you you're not allowed to choose your watering hole based off of aesthetics, based off of building appearance, based off of the music. The volume of the music, the lighting, the brightness of the lights. Why are we using natural things to choose our spiritual location? Mm, It's almost like he's preaching good. Right? And then... How easily we walk away. Okay, I got these, these five Leland cypress trees in our backyard. And a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, we had those strong winds come through. You know, one of the many tornadoes that, you know, tries to come through Madison, Alabama, glory to God. No one told me about that before I moved. I feel like there should be some sort of waiver or, you know, you know maybe something that lets you know what you're getting into. And, and the biggest lie ever told is that there's a tornado season. Y'all, there is no season. It's just tornadoes. It's, it's, it's year round. Hallelujah. How do I know it's Christmas time? The tornado sirens are going off. How do I know it's spring? The tornado sirens are off. How do I know it's summer? The tornado sirens. How do I know it's fall? See, everyone's got these benchmarks, trees and cold. We have tornado sirens. Hallelujah. And we've got these trees in our backyard. And that wind came through. And uh, two of the five got blown over. And they're, they're 20, 25 feet and so Rachel and, and, and me and the boys, we went out there. Oh, y'all would have been laughing hysterically. us trying to put them trees back up because they're heavy. I thought, you know, this is no problem. I, I'm just going to go out here. I'm going to big boy this tree. I did not big boy nothing. I had all of us out there. You know what I mean? Rachel and Christian, Sam, everybody pulling on it together. Let's get some of the birds to help. Push this tree over, you know? And so we stood them back up. We staked them into the ground. And then on Friday, we had another storm come back through, and it blew them over again. And guess what I learned? They're blowing over because their root system's not going deep. Their root system is all surface. You can look at it, there's no tap root on the bottom of that thing that's going into the ground to anchor it at that location. And when you bounce from water hole to water hole, your roots do not get established. There's no anchor. And then this is why the storms of life can just come in and blow you all around. This is why one small thing will happen in society, with our government, with our family, with our friends, at our school, in our community. One thing will happen and we're utterly destroyed. Because I have no anchor. Because my roots have not gone down deep. Because I won't remain in the place that God's called me to so I can grow. Amen. Amen. I want to be planted And the devil knows this. And so many Christians fall prey. You know, we've been here, I've been here for 21 years, I think. Came in 2002, so someone math that for me, real quick. I don't math. I'm not Tony Stark. My math is always wrong. (laughs) 21 years, 22 years, something like that. You know how many opportunities I've had to cut and walk away? But I know where God called me to gather. I said, I know where God called me to gather. We were at the a and I think I may have told you all this story, maybe not, but I had somebody come up to me, and they said, when you're ready to start your church, my family will come with you and we'll be the biggest tithers in your church. And it's interesting. They came at a time where there was challenges. Mm-hmm. Came when there's challenges, maybe I'm not seeing. Because y'all think maybe, uh, you know, they're in Chile, maybe, maybe they'll watch us, maybe they won't. May, maybe y'all think that, you know, Pastor Mark, Pastor Rhonda, and I, we're always just on the same page. <laughs> that would be dope if that happened. <laughs> but that's not true. We're human, the Word of God is perfect. Your pastors are not. Me being one of them, hallelujah. And so there's always opportunities, right? I remember when I first started here, I was like two years in, year and a half in, church on the move, Pastor Willie George's church has 20,000 people on a weekend, their youth ministry, 2,500 people. I got a letter from them inviting me to be one of their youth pastors on staff. Cornerstone, we had 15 students in a building that flooded every time it rained. I got breed down there with a mop bucket, dancing during praise and worship, mopping up the water off the floor (laughs) with 15 students. And I got church on the move that has 2,500 students every Wednesday wanting me to be their youth pastor. But I know my watering hole. I said, I know my watering hole. Uh And I won't let anything move me from that place because I need my roots to go down deep. Because guess what? There is going to be trials. There is going to be troubles. There is going to be tribulations. There is going to be winds. And there's going to be storms that are going to come and beat against this house. What is this house? That is my life. And when those winds and those storms come, I need to be anchored. And I need my roots to go down deep. And so I've got to make up my mind. God, you've called me to this place. You go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it talks about how every single person is a part of the body. And I love what it says. It says that God has placed every piece where it's pleasing to Him. It is pleasing to Him that you are in this room this morning. Come on now. Hallelujah. It's pleasing to Him. He did this, He connected you, He attached you, and it's in this place, just like the apostles in the upper room. It was in that place. They weren't just there by accident. They were there on purpose because it's where Jesus told them to go. Let me be one of the 120. Forget those 450 or however many, whatever that math is. Come on now, I want to be in my place. Someone say in my place. Glory to God. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. Let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not for, what are we talking about? We're talking about healing the broken heart. And we need each other in that process. Because look at this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as, uh, as the manner of some have. have Many, many have forget, forgotten to forsake the, or Many have left the fellowship, right? But exhorting to one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So what is he saying? He's saying, because listen, as we come closer and closer to the end of days, things are going to get worse and worse. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying you're going to need this fellowship more than ever as the day gets closer and closer. You're going to need some iron to sharpen iron. You remember what Ecclesiastics chapter four talks about. It says, woe to a man who is alone, for he can be attacked and overcome, but greater too when they stand back to back because they can fight and conquer. And if two are good, then a three-braided cord is even better. See, there's purpose behind this fellowship because even when it comes to the healing process, if you're not instantly healed, this is what I can tell you, in that journey and along that process, there's gonna be opportunities and moments where you wanna give up. And you're going to need somebody to encourage you. You're going to need somebody to say, come on, brother, come on, sister, you can do this. God is working. Trust the process. Let him finish it and let him complete it. Let him heal you. Let him make you whole. Just stay and trust the process. Stay and walk with him. And you can't do that when you're in your house by yourself. Come on, we have that place of solitude, yes, but we don't live there. It's a place we go to fellowship with the Father. And we also have this place, and they're both important to strengthen one another, to encourage one another. So when things are going on, we can say, no, we've got this. Matthew nine twelve. but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I've come to help people who need help. See, so why are we coming into this room? We're not coming into this room because we're whole. We're coming into this room because we need help. And it's important. And, and I wanted to read that scripture because here's the point. Your help is here. Come on now. Yeah. Pastor Mark and Pastor Rhonda have been sent on assignment to help you. Yeah. Your brothers and sisters to your left and your right, they've been orchestrated to be here by God to help you. We need fellowship with the Father and we need fellowship with our church. Let's go over to John chapter 11. Y'all doing all right this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Glory to God. John chapter 11. Now, we all know this story. It's the story of Lazarus. And we're going to read verse 38. And again, the, well, let's just go. Uh, we'll just jump all the way to 43 for time's sake. And then Jesus, now Lazarus, he's been dead. He's been dead for a minute. Right? And he's in there. And, and Jesus has him roll away the tomb. And then verse, I guess I could have read it after explanation. Verse forty-three. And then Jesus said, "Lazarus, come out!" And Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Now watch this. Jesus told them, "Who's them? Everybody that was standing around." Unwrap him and let him go. So Jesus performed the miracle. But there was some grave clothes that were lingering. And Jesus spoke to the body and said, help him shed those clothes. Now, some of y'all are missing that. So Lazarus comes walking out like a mummy we see in the movies. He's got these cloths on that they buried people in. And Jesus did the miracle, but then he said, everybody around, help him get the grave clothes off of him. So what does that mean? Jesus is doing miracles in your life, but there are gonna be times when you need everybody around you to help with the process. There's going to, and even, I'll go a step further, there might be some things in your life that are impossible for you to shed on your own. Where you need somebody on the outside looking at it and says, oh, let's take it off this way. Look at what God just showed me. This is how we can, and how does that happen? That happens through fellowship like Proverbs 27, 17 talks about how iron will sharpen iron and how we're a help to one another. So God's doing something in your life. Now, now when you look at the scripture, you can see why the devil works so hard to get us out of fellowship. Why the devil works so hard to get us away from our church home and our gathering spot where God has planted us. Because he knows if he can move you from where God has put you, some things in your life might linger. Let us provoke one another unto good works, and let us talk about how we can shed these things. I remember Elijah. Y'all remember Elijah when he killed all those false prophets, 450 people up on that hill, Mount Carmel, right? Right? And then he comes down off the mountain. Something interesting happens. He runs and he sits down under a sycamore tree and he prays up to God and he says, kill me now. So he even went from a spiritual high to a spiritual low, to where he wanted to take his own life. Now what's interesting, you read the verses before that and what did he do? The Bible says he left his armor bearer or you could say it this way, he left his company. So now he's all alone and he's sitting underneath that sycamore tree and it's more than he can bear. We need one another. I said we need one another. And part of that process also means we need our pastors. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. I a new Living Translation. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. That word right there, souls, is the same word we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It is the seat of your emotions. God's put your pastors in place to watch over your soul to help minister to the seed of your emotions because you're gonna, maybe you lost a loved one. I don't have time for this story, but I remember when our youngest son was born, uh, they stripped him out of Rachel's hands because of something that was going on. He had turned purple during the feeding process. His lungs stopped working and they came in and they grabbed him and they grabbed him by the ankle, flipped him upside down and ran out of the room banging on his back. That was one of the first things we saw a couple hours after he was born. And then we heard nothing because nurses couldn't tell us. And we had to wait for a doctor to come to tell us what was going on. And this was like at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I remember my heart being broken because the devil was such a manipulator and such a liar, and the Bible calls him the father of all lies. Up until that point, we were unable to really solidify and land on a name for our son. Nothing was fitting and nothing seemed right, and as soon as the nurse took him out, there was almost an audible voice on my shoulder, and it was the devil, and he said, this is why you couldn't name your son, because he's going to die and will not live. And that statement from the devil, it broke me. And my heart was so bruised. And I couldn't even imagine what Rachel was going through after she nurtured and carried the child for nine to ten months and the relationship that they had. And at two o'clock in the morning, see, it hits every time you tell it, Pastor Mark and Pastor Rhonda came into that room and they said, this is what we're going to do. Get up. We're praying. What were they doing? They're watching over the seat of our emotions. And I told my pastor, I said, Pastor Mark, I don't feel like praying. And he looked back at me and he said, I don't care what you feel. This is what we're doing. Because that, the devil may be saying that, but this is what God says. He will live and will not die. And they ministered to the seed of our emotions. And the reason these things happen is to knock us out of faith, to knock us off of this walk, to knock us out of this fellowship so the devil can come in and steal and kill and destroy. But God has put something in place. Not saying that our pastors are infallible, not saying that our pastors are God or even Jesus, but they've been put in place. The under-shepherd has been put in place by the over-shepherd. And Jesus is the over-shepherd. And he has instituted under-shepherds, and he's put them there for a purpose, and the devil will do everything he can to separate you from your shepherd. Because life comes to all of us, and life waits for no one. And we prayed, and we believed God. Three days later, he came out of the NICU, and now he's back in Torch messing with Pastor Deanna. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. couple more scriptures for you. Let it end that scripture. Now look at this. Their work is to watch over your souls. Back in Hebrew, they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. See, even though that was a difficult time in our lives, they were able to do it with joy because we were submitted. So their authority, it worked. See, when there's no submission, it's very frustrating for the shepherd because there's no authority. And so it makes it difficult for them to speak the things in our lives that hurt us. Now look at the Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So when we come under and we submit to our pastors who are watching over our souls, it's not for their benefit; it's for our benefit. Someone say my benefit. Two more scriptures for you, and I apologize for going long. Jeremiah twenty-three, three through four, and I will gather a raiment of my flock out of all the countries, whether I have driven them. Now, what is that? That's us. Look around the room. All the countries, all the nations of the world. What is God doing? He's gathering a raiment, and I believe we're raiment. That last piece of cloth, the latter day church that is gathered together, that God has set aside just for a time as this, <laughs> whether I've driven them and I'll bring them again to their folds and they shall be a fruitful and increase. Now verse four, and I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them and they shall fear no more. So when you are underneath your shepherd, what leaves? Fear and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So I will raise up shepherds, Jeremiah 3.15, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. When things come to us in this life that cause a broken heart, one of the things God has implemented, he's raising up shepherds that have his heart to minister to our heart. We have this wonderful fellowship with our Father. We have this wonderful fellowship with the Son. We have this wonderful fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We have this wonderful fellowship with each other, but we also have this wonderful fellowship with our shepherds, And I'm not saying that means we go to the movies with them. I'm talking about fellowship on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being communicated to us. They lead us with knowledge and understanding and in those moments, the anointing can minister to our hurt. Don't let the devil get you away from your water and hole. There's a miracle in this room for you, every single service. Come on now. I said there's a miracle for you in this room every service.